of the Mark Groves podcast. I hope that I'm finding you well wherever you are listening to this. This week has been a really wonderful one. I've noticed some consistent things that have been coming up for people, and I wanted to share some of those things with you because, you know, I kind of sometimes feel as though things are coming up for all of us when they're coming up for some of us. And one thing I know to be true about my own experience in life is that growth never ends, you know, transformation never ends. It's continued expansion. I used to think about, you know, un, you know, figuring out another layer of the onion, and I was like, ah, damn it, as soon as you figure it out, you're like, shit, this onion isn't getting smaller. feels like it's getting bigger. And I was talking to my friend Sherry Salata, who has been on the podcast, he used to be the executive producer of Oprah, and, you know, she, she knows some things, a lot of things. And she said to me, maybe instead of thinking about it as an onion in contraction and hoping to get it smaller, maybe every time you figure something out about yourself, you're actually expanding and creating more light and taking up more space. And I got to tell you, that version of the way of thinking about it is a lot better than the one I used to have. And so I wanted to share with you that wherever you're at is the perfect place to be right now. And... You know, I have a lot of people express in my work saying, I wish I had heard you or met you five years ago or 30 years ago or six months ago before I made so-and-so error. And I got to tell you that actually never works because there's always messages all around us, but we're not always ready to hear them. And I know that for me, there have been things said to me that years later made so much sense And I think when they were said, they started something, but I wasn't ready to acknowledge them and meet them at the level of awareness those pieces of advice or feedback were delivered at. You know, there's a great saying, I don't know who said it, but it's when we're ready, the teacher arrives. And we wouldn't have heard the message five years ago or 30 years ago because we were asleep in some ways. And transformation comes at the perfect time. It's now is the perfect time to start, to continue, to close something, to open something. And I really want to continue to share with people that it's normal to be in pain. It's normal to not know what you're going through. It's normal to be confused. It's normal to want to figure out all the different systems and lies and ways we were taught that are not actually constructive and conducive to healthy relationships and a thriving life. I don't mean to say that everybody should, you know, it's normal to be in immense pain, but it's normal to suffer in some sense in a way of unlayering and figuring it out and unlearning and paying attention to our patterns and wanting to change them and wanting to be better. You know, I always strive to want to be better because who I am today I mean, think about who you were 10 years ago. You know, hopefully you're a better version of that person. And if not, now's the chance. So that was the first part I really wanted to share. The other part is that often we reject old versions of ourselves who made mistakes. I know, 
You know, when I really learned that I was afraid of receiving love, that I was afraid of someone actually showing up for me, it was when I was on a call with my friend um, Kelly Marceau, and she looked at me. It was in the first five minutes of us talking. I'd never really met her before other than digitally. And she said to me, she looked me square in the eyes, she said, uh, Mark, have you ever actually let a woman love you? And I was like, yeah, of course I have. <laughs> Holy shit, man. That statement hit me like a freight train. And I got off the call with her, and we were on a video call. And I remember thinking, holy shit, when was the last time I actually let a woman love me? And I realized it had been about 15 years since a really devastating breakup at the age of 19. So it tells you how long pain can drive the car and how long it takes to wake up. It takes the perfect moment. It takes those words put in the exact place where I was in the exact awareness to hear them. And I received them. And they changed my life. I made a rule earlier, way before that, about four years before that, that I would always live at my highest level of knowledge, that as soon as I learned something, I would change my life. So I changed my life. I looked at every area of my life that I would not allow myself to receive love, and I committed and made a pact with myself that I would no longer date people who are fresh out of a relationship, that I would no longer date projects, that I would no longer give time and space to things that were not a full-bodied yes, even if I, you know... And, they, and it was good if it scared me in a way, the connection. I needed to re-relate myself to connection, to attraction, you know, especially if you're attracted to people who are not good for you, then, you know, then you know that attraction and chemistry is not necessarily um, drawing you to the right people, but it's drawing you to the right people in the concept or the thought that, you need to learn how to say no to them. You need to learn how to move beyond them. And I had to learn that. It took a while. And so what happens, though, is we learn that we should have done something different and we could have done something different. And we look back at that version of us and we go, screw you. Like, I can't believe you made those mistakes. I can't believe I did this. I can't believe I hurt them. I can't believe I hurt me. I can't believe I kept choosing that. I can't believe I let that happen. What the hell? And what we're doing in that moment is we're shaming the part of us that woke us up. We're shaming the part of us that learned the lesson. I remember thinking about all these different years that I did not let someone love me when I chose things that were bad for me, and I, I let my hurt hurt other people. And I remember the younger versions of me. There were many, 22, 28, 27, whatever. And I remember them looking back at me in this thought, in this meditation. And they said to me, fuck you for rejecting me, for blaming me, for shaming me. The only reason you know what you know today is because I made a mistake. The only reason you know that there's a better behavior available is because I made the behavior choice that wasn't as good. And you know today because of that, without me, you wouldn't have the wisdom. And I remember melting in my own internal process, in my own internal environment, and seeing the compassion and the love I had to have for younger versions of me that didn't know what I know today. And I realized in that that expansion, that growth, 
is grace. That to grow is to actually be graceful, to show grace and compassion for the younger version of us, for the part of us that made a mistake. Because when we look at that square in the eye, when we reject it and we shame it, we can't look at it and learn from it. We're too busy wanting to deflect it and distract it and and not love it. But when we turn towards it and we ask that moment, that experience, what it can teach us, and then we transform our lives, we live at the highest level of knowledge, we show ourselves grace by integrating the pain and the experience. And in that integration is expansion. And in that is where you take up more space which you have every right to. And I want you to know that today is the perfect day to begin integration. And I'm so grateful that you're here. And the person who, the guest on the podcast today is just a wonderful human being. She's so bright, so brilliant, so kind. You're going to hear that in her voice. She's a very good friend of mine. And before we get into that, a couple things. One, if you are going through a breakup or you're having a hard time letting someone go. I have a five-week course that gives you worksheets every week. It takes you through the progression of healing. And I also end up in your inbox every day with a video. And I walk you through the process of letting go and moving on and protecting yourself and all the things. And the website to go sign up for that is bit.ly bit.ly slash breakup rebirth. So bit.ly slash B-R-E-A-K-U-P-R-E-B-I-R-T-H. So bit.ly slash breakup rebirth. So if you're struggling or trying to let someone go, that's the place to go. I got your back. And last but not least, wherever you listen to this, if you could do me the favor, the honor of leaving a five-star review and a written review and sharing these episodes Because it just gets it into more people's ears and we can heal together and we can see that we're all not that dissimilar, you know? So human to go through this and not know what to do in a relationship. And I'm learning just as you are. And I don't want to delay that learning. So without further ado, here is my good friend, Kate Horseman. Welcome to another episode of the Mark Groves Podcast. I'm so excited to have this guest here with you this week. It is a good friend of mine, Kate Horseman, Miss Kate Horseman. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited that you're here. Oh man, I am very excited and honored to chat with you. Uh, I'm always inspired by you and your lovely partner's work. Oh my gosh, Like I want my followers, all the people listening to this, to hear your sage wisdom, mm. you know, to pressure. <laughs> yeah. Well, the good thing is you just get to let it flow through you. You know, that's what you're so good at is just sharing because you care so much. It comes from that place. Yeah. So for the people listening for you in your car, wherever you're doing this, um, Kate is both a nutritionist and a counselor. That's right. And, but, but it goes, it's more complex than that, right? Yeah, it really is. So I don't have the elevator pitch of, of okay. what I do for a living. Um, I do have a private practice. Um, and I always say that the entry point 
can often be around nutrition. But from there, we start talking about the body, we start talking about the mind and the way that we hold and store uh, our emotions and our journeys um, beyond, right? So um, going back a little bit, I went to school originally to become a counselor. Um, however, it wasn't until I added the nutrition piece did I think, oh, this is this is what's missing, especially in working with the demographic of people that I work with. Mm-hmm. So in the the new, it started with the counseling piece, and I I mean for myself, my work was much more selfishly created first, which mm-hmm. was the desire to understand relationships because mm-hmm. I might not have been functioning at my highest level. Yeah, in yeah. Relationship. So for your counseling work, where was that born from? Mm. Um, well, I would say some. Uh, naivete and optimism about um, the fact that I felt like if I could heal, anyone could heal. Ooh, um, I love that. I still believe that. Yeah, I believe um, that too. I believe that anyone is capable yeah. of healing. I do. I mean, I just think it's such a missing piece of a lot of our work that um, if we do not have that sense of hope or belief, or at least a, a, a small part of it, we cannot exponentially grow. Um, our capacity to heal our bodies, whatever the illness is. Yeah. I I was listening to, or watching that documentary on Netflix called heal Mm, mm -hmm. and uh, Deepak Chopra said something I just loved, which was uh, believe the diagnosis, but not the prognosis. Beautiful. And, And even sometimes though, the diagnosis is we like to put people in categories. Like I've worked with a lot of people who have been told they are, something Mm -hmm. as opposed to they are experiencing Mm -hmm. something. Mm -hmm. And when we give people these, like uh, I, I, probably very controversial topic, but I was working with a uh, guy who was told that he was emotionally just not capable of feeling because he was Hmm. on the spectrum. And man, he was actually, I knew him for a long time. So Mm -hmm. I knew he was quite emotionally capable. And I'm not saying that that's, that diagnosis is not accurate when it's given. So please everyone listening, put down the yeah, reactive This isn't space. about blind um, optimism. Or yeah. Whatever. Yeah. This was just that in his case, <clears throat> um, he was just disassociated from his emotions. He had yeah. shut them off since he was a little kid and, and probably was, with good reason. Absolutely. Yeah. And so when we started to reintroduce him to his emotions and his yeah. feelings and his body, it was like this, he was like, wait, I actually, am, I'm actually a big lover. Yeah. You know, so it was really cool. But anyways, getting back to that concept of the counseling and that form of like optimism. If I can heal, anyone can heal. And then it led to nutrition. Why nutrition? So, I mean, there, there is a bit of a gap in, in that journey. Right. Uh So, so when I finished counseling or, uh, finished, um, my education around counseling, I, um, which is never finished by the way. Um, (laughs) yeah. I, I say that I, I floundered beautifully for many years. Um, I had to feel what it was like to be, um, human. And for a long period of my life, I was either subhuman or superhuman. Like I just was at various stages of my own journey. What do you mean by that? Well, and in um, what context, like when were you subhuman and when were you superhuman? Yeah. Um, you know, I have to ask. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I knew that We're was not like an entry point. Over that um, and I've never referred to it that way, but that it truly makes a lot of sense. I think being superhuman led to being subhuman. So, um, as a, as a child, I was a classic overachiever, perfectionist, empath, 
I was a very, very high-level uh, ballet dancer. I was sent away to school very young for this. I was training eight to eight plus hours a day um, as as an adolescent. So um, I think I think by all all definitions, I was just achieving such greatness, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that below the surface was bubbling a lot of painful, painful stuff. Um, and, and with that, um, became, um, my trauma became realized, right? Um, I became very ill myself. Um, well to give people context too, like your level of perfectionism Mm -hmm. was like perfectionism, but like highly you you really couldn't have reached higher ranks than you mm-hmm. reached um you were a dancer yeah but not just not no, a dancer you're right you were like one of the best in canada yeah. and the world yep right yeah yeah and i like, was at the precipice of of uh, potentially being in a top position in in any company which is insanity because yeah. i'm sure a lot of people uh listening can relate to that level of needing to achieve or, mm-hmm. or that like because when I think about um, a dancer, but I think about anyone who's in that high state, there's like such contraction uh, constantly. I feel that, yeah. And I, I mean, I'm definitely not a dancer, not even any type of beat. <laughs> I know how to dance off beat. Yeah. That's, that's hey. my beat, actually. Yeah. And I think of dancing and I think of how, maybe from watching movies about it or, or just watching the ballet, because mm-hmm. uh, that was the type of dance. Yeah. Right? Everything is so tight. and Yeah planned mm-hmm. and intentional mm-hmm. and i'm like oh. shit i got a my my extra little love on the side of my waist would yeah. fall right over that leotard yeah 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 Oof. um and, and if it did right then there was consequences which inevitably it would right that extra bit of love or or um it, it wouldn't even have to be just the body but even our emotional state right your investment i remember the first time i went away to um, like a high level school. I was nine years old. I was at the national ballet school in Toronto. And right away when you enter their program, they send you to a sports psychologist. And, um, at that point, there's really no other reason than to, to assess whether you have what it takes to be potentially a member of their company. Um, I'm sure there was some emotional support as well, but for me, it really felt like a inquiry as to, um, what I could do for them. And I remember they said, do you want to be a ballerina? And, and my reaction was, I want to be a doctor. So even, <laughs> even still at this stage, I don't know if I had this. I love how they're like that. No, that's, that's not going to work. The wrong answer actually. Yeah. Do you want to be a doctor ballerina? Yeah. And so I don't know if that was my thought too, was that I could, I could be both because there was no question <laughs> that I was going to reach a certain level. I wasn't going to like decide one later. You know, yeah. I had to be a high achiever at both. So you're saying um, before mm-hmm. that you got to this state of sort of ultimate achievement mm-hmm. and compression. Yeah. And then, bam. You know, I think the description you're saying of this contraction, it's almost like, um, you know, if we believe in, and I do, like the body keeps the score. Yeah. Um, I think that book's somewhere around here. Yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, when the body says no, that's yeah. that's one. Um yeah, it's almost like, and I heard this quote, and I'm I'm going to paraphrase it, but we're just a bunch of contracted bodies holding on to our stories. And 
I felt like this, this tightness. I love that. And, and I feel like there was a moment and I remember this moment where my disease and my disorder actually gave me a way out of that contraction out of that because it was, it was going to crack, right? Contraction. Once it gets too much, it's, it's, it seizes. Well, so much it, 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 might not look like it's inflammatory, but it's incredibly inflammatory. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're just in a constant state of of uh, defense. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. So, in was that condition from you know just to give people, I guess, some context of. I mean, I think we all have an idea. When I think of a ballerina instructor, I think of like some Russian. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong; I love Russians, but I just think mm-hmm. of a Russian ballerina instructor or ballet instructor yeah. who's like do this, mm-hmm. you know, but I don't mm-hmm. actually, that accent, that might be a German, but whatever. <laughs> Is that, that what it's like? like? Um, y- yes. And were they Russian? Uh, I had one Russian teacher, okay. but actually my Russian teacher was like one of my favorites. That was the nice one. Yeah. Okay. So I apologize <laughs> to any Russians listening. I did, that's just in my brain. That's like no, what but movies have. Yeah. I mean, I, I think to be fair, um, there is this uh, hierarchy that dance and the arts has held in certain cultures and therefore their desire to teach and educate um, in a certain way that is going to cultivate greatness. There's, they do that at any cost. Right. And, and it certainly wasn't pleasant at times. Yeah, I bet. And so in that like language, constant language, correcting patterns, all those things, was that, ultimately what leads to the constant contraction, the need Mm. to be approved, the need to like, what was, do you think contributing, what were all the confounding contributing factors to, I'm sure childhood Mm -hmm. (laughs) too is in there Mm because it's always in there, Mm -hmm. especially if dance was part of your childhood, which I'm guessing it was. You know, I often say that, um, I feel like dance actually was the Petri dish, right? So, um, mm. it wasn't necessarily the catalyst to the problems, although I think it's problematic. Like there's yeah. no two, two ways around that, but it also held the space for everything else to flourish uh, for that. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to say dysfunction, but that trauma. A- absolutely. To grow. Yeah. Huh. Um, any dissatisfactions or, um, well, there's no room for, for humanness. At, at all. You know, like, and I love that. I guess that leads back to you labeling it as superhuman. Yeah. Versus subhuman, which, yeah. you know, it's like if we don't allow our imperfections to be seen, uh-huh. to be loved by ourselves first, but it, we're so imprinted from our our parents and our communities mm-hmm. that you might do something, a mistake or Absolutely. just be a human and you get criticized for that thing. And so you don't ever want to show these oh, parts. Yeah. You know? I couldn't, I couldn't show that I was ill. I couldn't show that I was unhappy. I remember it was so interesting. There was a major shift that happened within within my dance when when my disease and disorders started to really take control and people would say to me we used to enjoy watching you dance you had so much life and you were just, your face just lit up like it was just natural for me where's that gone where's that girl mm. why don't you smile anymore wow you remember that huh? oh man cuz what was it was it the 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 being seen in that comment yeah like yeah. you're like oh someone actually sees me. Yeah. But did they do anything? About no, it? right. Not, so not at all. So and if hard, anything, right? that was a criticism. It was just like, wow, put the smile on. Like you've lost your, spark. where did that girl go? The yeah. one we love. Yeah. 
So that was lovable. God, the implicit message in there. Yeah. Well, explicit, but it's pretty. Uh-huh. There's so many. But you don't you don't even realize it. I mean, I remember. Oh, my gosh. I remember a couple months ago, I um, I was thinking back. There was this woman who made beautiful, beautiful costumes for some of the high-level girls. And every time I went to her, she made comment on how my body changed. And although she didn't, uh, I don't think her intention was to be malicious. Um there was this sort of smirk or s- snideness with every time my measurements changed, right? Mm. And and again, to give context, by all by all definitions, I'm very privileged in in what I presented forth in my body. I was petite. I was a small frame. I was able to do exceptional things. The message wasn't always that I needed to lose weight or be a shape, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so even in there, I had those messages. You could hear them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, and so in the adventure, let's call it that, mm-hmm. the adventure that is life, that you end up in this place where you're so superhuman. So oh. in that experience of going from superhuman mm-hmm. contracted mm-hmm. what was the like i want to call it a fall from grace oh yeah but but it's almost like a demand like a, a pull into grace like you mm-hmm. were ushered yeah in. it's beautiful and I, it's not if it's odd to think of a rock bottom as grace mm-hmm. but it really is uh the finally the invitation to drop all the shit That's how I see it. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, later on, I definitely felt that, that, that it was grace. As you can see, I have grace written on my right hand. She Um, has a tattoo of grace on her hand. It's nice. If Um, she ever hits you with that, she'll hit you with grace. Exactly. (laughs) Um, the first time it felt much more, uh, remember we were having a little conversation earlier about, um, like what it is sometimes when you have this reaction to just bail, um, Mm. I, I had no other way out than to just bail out of, of, of dance out of life. Okay. And because by, by this point, let's say I'm in my late, late teens. Yeah. Um, the expectation was just to continue on and that, um, I would either progress and like deal with my shit. Um, can I swear? <laughs> Oh yeah, I have explicit on all okay. my episodes. Don't worry. Um, I like to keep a train of this. Don't worry, you're okay. good. And and I felt like uh, my eating disorder, which I haven't labeled yet on on the show, um, my eating disorder was my way out. I certainly didn't f- hmm. didn't feel like um, like it was a choice by any stretch of the means. Um, I quite likely had an eating disorder from the age of nine to 10 onwards. Um, but it wasn't until those later years of my adolescence that it actually gave me a strategy out of a very painful, painful life, which was what was being upheld by, um, my career in dance and all the surroundings, uh, my family, my relationships, um, my future. Everything pivoted around who you had constructed. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And you think of um, how we create these disorders, these dysfunctions, mm-hmm. these, you know, um, I mean, I've worked with a couple of people who got RA as little kids, rheumatoid mm-hmm. arthritis for people listening, which is an autoimmune. Mm-hmm. 
because it created more connection with her parent who didn't notice them, they'd go to the doctor for these like mysterious pains that ended up becoming real pain. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm not, I don't want to get into the constructs of autoimmune, but I, that inflammatory response, even when we choose pain that we know will sabotage. Sure. Right. Like cheating or like any of those drug use over consuming alcohol. Um, even in little subtle ways where we don't pay our bill or mm-hmm. we don't, even though we have the money, you know, just little ways that we yeah. reject. But to think that your eating disorder was sort of like a, I, I love how you referenced the nine, 10 year old where you're like, I likely was restricting and doing oh, those yeah. things as a kid. Yeah. I think of when I was in grade eight, I went to this birthday party at my friend's house and this, I was sitting across the table from this guy who I knew, but I only saw him periodically. He was friends with the guy whose birthday it was. I was like 13, 12, somewhere around then. And he said to me, uh, Mark, you've become quite a porker. Hmm. And I was like, and I remember my like whole world just sort of collapsing. Um, It's a very like visceral memory because it was one of the first times that I felt total rejection. Uh, I mean, I met rejection a lot with women after that, but it actually that summer I ended up taking slim fast that my grandma had. Wow. And not eating very much and mountain biking a ton, getting fit mm-hmm. and then going to school and people wanting to talk to me mm-hmm. and like my social status going up, mm-hmm. which I was like, holy shit. It's a, and that became the beginning of yeah. a real lifelong war with my own body. But to think of, um, the level of, cause mine was, you know, calorie restriction. I never stepped to the space of bulimia, mm-hmm. but I certainly thought of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yours, thank went you for to, sharing. Yeah. I mean, it's, inter- I, I have no problem sharing it with people listening. Um, but I wanted you to be on the show when yeah. I shared it. Cause yeah. I, I know that, uh, we've talked a little bit about how there isn't maybe as much, uh, open conversation about male oh. eating disorders. Absolutely. There is such a lack of conversation support, um, it's imperative that we have those conversations. Yeah. Like I think I had enough knowledge to know that if I did make myself throw up, Mm -hmm. I knew it was a way that there was probably no way back. Mm -hmm. Like I remember having that thought, like you can't do this Mm -hmm. because this will be too far because you'll be rewarded. Yeah. You'll get to eat all you want to eat and then not have to process it. So it was a, yeah, it was it's been though an interesting thing to navigate the underlying core beliefs that we create yeah. just from those mindsets. And I think of just like yours went so much more, mm. right? Like your beginning of that, what did it look like? Um, well, you know, at the beginning, I think it really just looked like me searching for some sense of control, which ultimately probably is by definition a big part of disordered eating, eating mm-hmm. disorders. Um, but that could be everything from, okay, I'm just not going to eat certain types of food. Or I remember I went to uh, outdoor school as a nine-year-old and um, someone came back, back afterwards and said, I think, I think your daughter might have an eating disorder. And I don't remember actively trying to restrict my food. I just remember feeling really uncomfortable while I was away. Mm. I felt really alone. And that felt like a really um, natural response for me. Was to then restrict. Yeah. Or is that mainly what you did was restrict? 
yeah, uh, there were other ways, um, as it went on. Um, definitely I got into some purging through laxative abuse, mm. um, over exercising, um, which is also uh, a form of bulimia. Um, but primarily my diagnosis was anorexia. The, the diagnosis effect, maybe we'll talk about that a little bit, a, a little bit later, but I wanted to point out that when you said that when you, your friend mentioned that to you, it was this visceral reaction. Mm-hmm. Okay. So imagine for a second, these, these reactions that we have, whether it's someone telling us that we're fat or, um, some other messaging around our body, that reaction, that visceral reaction becomes so scary that we want to shut down from it. We don't want to feel that. So either we decide to, as you did, drink the slim fast or, you know, go mountain biking, or we decide to purge or we control our behavior as a strategy to not feel that way. Mm. It's the same mechanisms, um, you know, again, referring to another book, but um, by Bessel van, van der Kolk. Coke. Yeah. That's one of my absolute favorite, favorite books, um, where he talks so much about, um, how we need to learn safety in our body Mm. again. So chances are for a while, it was really hard to feel those feelings without doing something about it, about them. Yeah. There was a, uh, one thing I can remember really, because it brings me back to like looking in the mirror Mm. at that age Mm. and like looking for how much fat was under my arm, Mm. like by my pack. Um, and not just the calorie restriction, but chest breathing. So my stomach didn't stick out like all these different things that I'm sure honestly, no one knew about. Yeah. I I would imagine no one knew about because then you get rewarded for the positive bodies type. Yeah. Especially because I mean, I, this would have been in like the early nineties, late eighties, no early nineties. So, Men's health was pretty big then, so I really just idolized this idea of a men's health body. Right. Then I got really into gym, the gym. I did normalize my yeah, eating. Yeah, it hooked, it hooked you in. It did. I normalized my eating, but then it became an obsession yeah. that I didn't know was an obsession. You yeah, know? yeah. Um, I'd say I have a healthy relationship with it now, Yeah. but it wonderful. still oscillates. Mm-hmm. It still oscillates. Sure. You know, where I'm like, oh, now I'm, I'm actually, I can tell if I've like put on weight that doesn't feel good. Yeah. You know, if I go over some train tracks and I can feel myself give a little extra shake. Right. The sensation. Uh, Yeah. And I mean, I think that's, it's so key. And hopefully where we pivot some of our work with, with clients and treatment is like, how do we build safety in the body again? Yeah. So that. Yeah, our, our our body or belly is going to shake when we go over to train and track, like and that doesn't mean anything, right? So how do you do that with client? How did you do it with yourself? Yeah. I mean, I think ultimately, yeah. like, we're at what age when this is sort of you're at camp and yeah, you, this is happening. How old are you? Um, so that was when I was like nine. Oh wow, so yeah, that, that was, was really at nine. Young. And then when um, your body sort of said, "Hey, enough, fuck you," yeah. Uh, it's time. Yeah. 16 was when I started going into programs and going into hospital and it remained that way for quite a few years. Um, when I just relapse or, Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, the thing that's important to remember at at the beginning, um, like sort of that 16 to 18 year old stage, I, I definitely wanted to get better. However, I was still involved in dance. Now, when I lost my career, or I relinquished my career. What do I have to invest all my energy in? 
what am I going to be so good at? Mm -hmm. What am I going to put all that dedication and energy that I have succeeded in my whole life? Oh, my eating disorder, right? So the same investment. So the same investment went back in and it felt far more, um, beneficial isn't the right word, but far more beneficial for me to invest in my eating disorder than it was to invest in my recovery. I was not in the place physically to be able to recover. So I do believe, and I am very strong believer that there has to be a certain amount of physical health that is regained in order to do the mental work, Mm. right? If you're so unwell and unequipped, um, of nourishment, how do you have the capacity to shift some of those, um, neural pathways? Yeah. Um, Because you don't even have the sort of, uh, uh, fortitude. No, your body is just trying to get by. Your body's like, you want to use your brain? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. We're trying to move yeah. and beat a heart here. Yeah. Which is crazy. Yeah. So, yeah. so walk us through like what that looked like and what your recovery, yeah. um, which I think, uh, as you said earlier, like healing never ends. Healing never ends ever. No. Um, and, and I will say that, uh, I think eventually like synopsis, I, I, I worked hard through recovery in my probably year of 20th, 21st. Uh, that was when there started to be a shift, um, where even, even if I hadn't wanted recovery, I'd done the work, right. I'd been walking through the talking. Um, I would been walking through getting my body a little bit more, um, fundamentally sound, um, and I remember starting to have dreams again. Oh, wow. So you stopped having dreams. Oh, there was so many things, but that was, oh, I remember. Period. Oh, yeah. Menstruation. Yeah. Gone. I'd actually, uh, I never had my period. I never wow. had my period. You never even had it. Up until I was 21. And for people listening, the reason that yeah. women don't tend to get their period is why? Yeah. So if, if your body is... Um, below a certain body fat percentage. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have the ability to carry children, right? Um, so body is so brilliant. Oh, I mean, it's a survival mechanism. Yeah. And I mean, I wish I could tell everybody that every single moment of our day, our body, even if it's acting in maladaptive ways is working to keep you alive. Even, even if it's the drug that you take, even if it's the neuroses or the obsessive compulsive, hopefully we move away from that. But even that in and of itself is a strategy to keep you alive. My anorexia, although very, very almost killed me is also what kept me alive. Hmm. Right. Which is so interesting that Mm -hmm. the wound is also the The medicine, the medicine, which then, you know, I, I love this concept that we turn our mess into our message. Mm hmm. That we like transform our pain. We become the teachers we needed. Yeah, absolutely. And that for me is absolutely true. That like everything I teach is just a chapter ahead of where I just came Mm -hmm. from. Or sorry, a a chapter behind where I just came from. Yeah. Um, And that's why the work is always evolving. The healing is always evolving. And the reason I love conversations about relationship to body relationship to food relation Mm -hmm. is because our relational dysfunctions, our relational challenges, wounding. Mm -hmm will express in all these different ways. Yeah. And it's important no matter where we find the access point. Yep. We will all have an access point. Yeah. For some people it's breakups, for other people it's uh bankruptcy and relationship to money, yeah. other people it's family, but for a lot of people. Yeah. It's body and food. 
Absolutely. You know, because it's one that can live in the ether and get rewarded in Instagram likes. Yeah, it is so acceptable to talk about our neuroses around food all day, even if we don't have an eating disorder, even if we don't have disordered eating. People love to talk about it, and it is so socially acceptable to say, oh, you know what? That's bad food. Or, oh, I was so good today. It's yeah, so that's pervasive. true. I didn't have sugar. I didn't, I didn't, yeah. I stopped eating. I mean, candy so good. Yeah. I mean, that probably led to a lot of, I mean, I was rewarding myself with uh-huh. sugar yeah. to avoid feeling the, the pleasure centers go off. Yeah. And, yeah. Which you realize when you watch like that documentary on sugar, you're mm-hmm. like, holy shit, sugar is essentially cocaine. Yeah. No yeah. wonder I love it. Cause I pretty much love everything in high quantity. Yeah. There's a good thing. I never did cocaine cause I would be right. And I wouldn't be on this podcast. N- me and you both. I'd be at a club probably <laughs> still in Cancun making I'm, bad decisions. Yeah. No, <laughs> Cancun. Um, I feel like that's the place you would do a lot of cocaine. I'm sure New York though too, but whatever. Yeah. Um, no, it's interesting. Cause even when you mentioned it earlier that like I, you knew how, that you couldn't take that step into purging because you knew that it would be something that would be so fulfilling. And likewise for me, um, I, I knew that I couldn't step into drugs because that would easily become an avenue. It's, mm. it, I was a smoker actually. I, my, I remember when you told yeah. uh, us that kind of, I was like, what? Nobody I mean, I used to chew tobacco. Oh, uh, wow. Okay. I know everyone's like, Oh, the smoking people are like, yeah, yeah. but chewing people are like gross. Yeah. It was gross. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's interesting. I, I, I haven't told the story to a lot of my viewers, but I was, I think I was 18 when I started smoking. Yeah. And when I started smoking was, I was at the hospital. Um, oh, what a good place to stay. They, I wasn't allowed to go outside. I was on bed rest, all of these things that came from my illness. And I remember because I was so clever I remember saying, asking a friend, can you bring me a pack of smokes? And they did because they wanted to be a good friend. And I asked my doctor, you know, I just want to go outside for a cigarette. Okay. One cigarette a day. So they would let you so out. let me out. And not for fresh air. No, if you no, wanted to go I for a smoke. Like you got to love that. Like I know the doctor's know. like, but you don't smoke. Yeah. But I need a break. Oh yeah. Well then in that case. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. I know it is. And at the same time, I think the thought process, although the fresh air would have been more suitable, I think the thought process was this person is in such a highly dysfunctional yeah. state. Is this going to cigarette? Is this a lowing? Yeah, yeah. 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 So, um, I became addicted to cigarettes and um, I was a I smoker until I was 28. I smoked two packs a day and, um, I am still one cigarette away from being an addict. Oh my God. I as a chewer. (laughs) I can't even imagine. Oh my God. I used to chew all the time, like playing video games on the internet, chilling on the couch, hanging with friends out at the club, you know, wherever it was. And I always, there was a point where I could feel how out of alignment it was Uh with my principles, Uh fitness, health, you know, all the things. And I broke my leg playing soccer and I got an embolism in my lung. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, when they put in a, a nail in my tibia. But anyways, uh, I got an embolism in my lung, a fat embolism. And I was laying in the hallway of the hospital at 2 a.m. being sent to a like, CT scan. Uh-huh. And I was so alone, I remember. And I was looking up at the ceiling. And they had told me that 
there was like a 5% chance that I'd get a fat embolism in the surgery. Mm -hmm. So, well, fuck, I already hit the 5%. Yeah. So then they told me that the embolism is 40% fatal. So I'm by myself laying in this hallway. My parents are at home because they were, you know, it's 2 a.m. And I just have like this crazy panic attack. And I'm like, I can't believe I'm doing something that will kill me faster. Mm. And I had this moment of like, I don't know who's listening, but I was like, I will never chew again a day in my life mm-hmm, mm-hmm. if I make it through this. Like, I'm yeah. not ready to go. The first time I really faced mortality consciously, I'm sure I did many times yeah. doing sports and skiing and stuff, but I never chewed again. And yeah. I would have nightmares that I started uh-huh. chewing again. But I, if I had a dip I right now, oh, if I had a dip right now, back on the train, yeah. I can't. Yeah. Again, like, I know I'm so addictive. Yeah. I know I am. It's like a. Some might be like, well, it's Scorpio. I'm like, mm. it's just sure. dopamine rich, yeah. love, <laughs> totally, avoiding. Totally. Like, I've had to learn to sit yeah. in my pain, yeah. in my emotions, in my in transmuting loneliness to aloneness mm. has been uh, probably some of the hardest work. Mm. Um, and I invite everybody to feel what that difference mm. is. One believes a person will or a thing will complete mm-hmm. what you need to complete. And I was probably a little more of the reverse where, um, my, my despair, um, my avoidance was, kept me safe. It felt, it felt comfortable to be recluse. Yeah. Yeah. To retreat back and be, it, it's only about me. It's my problem. It's no one else's. Um, hmm. very isolating. Yeah. yeah. Very isolating. But I didn't see the isolation as a problem. So connecting, having that vulnerability, um, probably was a key factor for me. Um, so I guess it's just always, you know, two sides to every spectrum. Did you date like, Oh gosh, total like rock star type of people like party when I, when I got well, motorbike driver, when I got well, when you were not well, Oh or did no, you I didn't decide? date that. You didn't date. No, but when you got well, yes, did you like, 100%. you're like, that guy has a lot of tattoos and dysfunction. Yeah. He's totally unavailable. Totally. Let's mash love. Yeah. <laughs> let's, that let's merge me. wounded chemistry. Yeah. Hey, I get it. I get it. I was 100%. just like, I bet that's, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm, there's lots of, there's a few men, not lots of men. There's a few men probably that could tell you that story, you know? Yeah, I'm sure. I'm yeah. sure I've got a few too. Yeah, not men, but you know, mm-hmm. similar style. Yeah. Um. So, so what was the like? What was the bottom? Hmm. Like, I'm yeah. sure you felt many. Yeah. But what was? Because you said you went from uh, investing in it, mm-hmm. in the actual eating disorder, to investing in the recovery. Yeah. So where was the space? What was the moment that was the transition? Because I think that for everybody could look yeah. like. When was the moment that you stopped living in your pain and your wounds Mm -hmm. and you started to actually have hope Mm -hmm. and invest in your healing and your purpose and your connect back to your body and your heart? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, I feel like there was, there was two separate moments Mm -hmm. and, and both equally as valuable. Although the latter one I think happened as a way to invite me back into the work that I'm doing now, mm-hmm. right? Like that, that was my obstacle. It was like, I gotta, I gotta share this with the world. I Fuck, have, yeah. I have to, I have to give. I remembered being in such true despair of my, uh, my mood, my body, um, that there was this moment where I, I said, if I can get through this moment, 
I, I can get through the next. Let's see how that goes. I think in attachment to that, there was, I guess it's kind of like Brene Brown says, like the reckoning, like there was like, there was this surrender where it's like, everyone has given up on me. No one thinks I can get better because that's also problematic within eating disorder recovery and treatment. Um, you're going to have to live with this. You're going to manage where I had this moment mm. saying, no one's going to decide that, but me, right? I had used up nine lives. I had used them up. And if I got this chance yet again, I'm going to make something of it. Yeah. I actually didn't care what would happen to my body. So and I think that's more... an important, an important part, right? I wanted, I, of course, later on that would re-enter and say, no, yeah. you do still care about your body. Yeah. You really care about your body. But, um, I just remember being in so much pain that I was like, screw that. Fuck it. Yeah. I don't care. Make me happy again. Eat so that I'm happy. Where did I go? Ah, that's an important part. Mm. That's a really important part. And this is something I work with my clients in, in discovering is that I realized that I had very much become the disorder and like, where is my authentic self? Like maybe the person before, you know, age five, six, yeah. like that joy, what happened to her? Because she actually squashed. never, she never came back. Right. She wasn't there No, in that moment. Yeah. She was like probably the little voice yeah. that was saying like that, that is the hope. This right? matters. Right. And so, and so often in treatment, I think we're focusing on harm reduction and symptoms and behavior, which is very important. However, we're also not talking about how to get back to who I was before. Mm. And I had this, uh, like, it was very much this, an awakening or this, um, you know, when I read the power of now by Eckhart Tolle and he talks about that night for him, mm. it was, it was very much similar to me where I was like, no, 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 that, that person, she's actually still alive in here. Why am I listening to this pain? Mm. I can, I can shift out of that. Um, she got louder. Oh yeah. I love it. But that. I had to feed her. Right? Isn't it so, wow. So beautiful, right? Yeah. That you know that the, the way out is nourishment. Oh Yeah for that voice yeah. because the other voice is actually control and restriction. Yeah. And it's sort of like a, the inner critic, the whatever, you know, the darkness, the yeah. shadow, the. Absolutely. I remember there was a time where I, I shifted, um, my perspective again. Like I had a certain level of awareness through, mm -hmm. through the talk therapy and in, in the years, um, where I, I almost started coaching myself okay, if the voices feel really loud and feel really intense, I'm going to do the exact opposite. I'm going to feed those. So in the past, I would, I would obey those voices. Mm. Now going forward, I'm, I'm going to spite them. I'm going to challenge them. Yeah, I'm going to challenge them. Challenge them is much better. It wasn't as hate-filled. Yeah, now I'm going to feed them. So if those keep coming up, ah, there's something there. My brain's not adequately nourished. Let's see if we can create more flexibility by giving the body what it needs first then work on the rest. An interesting moment. Mm. It just reminded me, it circles back to that contraction. Mm -hmm. So, um, I remember sitting at the table and this was during that time where I was challenging recovery and becoming, coming home to myself. I remember sitting at the table with, I don't know what food it was, but it probably was some sort of a salad simple grains. And I had the fork in my hand and my hand was just trembling 
and my shoulders were up to my ears and my jaw was clenched. And I'd been doing this for a long time. And now I realized in that moment, ah, wait a second, wait a second. The signals are wrong here. What if I relax my shoulders? What if I relax my jaw? What if I relax? That doesn't mean that I'm still not scared, certainly, but it is an invitation that says to the body now, wait a second, you're safe. Mm-hmm. Like the salad isn't going to, yeah, your body isn't going to jump out or the salad's not going to jump out and <laughs> hurt you. Right. But that's where those neural pathways, they become, um, so expedient, right? Like mm-hmm. they're just going and going and going that now suddenly years later, I'm still in that loop, but, but wait a second, it doesn't, it doesn't need to exist. And that's where you start challenging and changing. Where you start to challenge the narratives yeah. and the voices yeah. that you don't have to listen to them. No. I, and I think in the context of people understanding that all of us have the capability to be this, you know, whatever our shadow expression Absolutely. looks like, whatever our control is, whatever our way to feed our brain dopamine is, which can simply be our phone, mm-hmm. um, this way to check True. out this way to, you know, and to sit in this moment of, uh, meeting that part of you, but mm-hmm. then calling forward. I think of it like if you really connect to the angry four year old that you mm-hmm. abandoned way back mm-hmm. in the day for survival. So it's not an yep. intentional thing. If you listen, that four year old's like enough fucking shit. Yeah. I've been telling you this for years. Yeah. Every time you start dating someone who's a shitty person, yeah. I say this person's a shitty person and you just quiet me and have a vodka. Yeah. You know, and it's like in this, I think when we give birth to that voice, we mm-hmm. reconnect. Mm-hmm. to the part of us that we self-abandon. Yeah. And then we give voice. And I really believe that that is where we start to feed our purpose, mm-hmm. which then when someone speaks from the voice that you have about your pain and your work, mm-hmm. it moves people's bodies. Like mm-hmm. talking to you, I can feel that you're, you're aligned. Mm-hmm. You're here. There's not like a space between who's sitting mm-hmm. here and you know, there's no mask. Like there's no contraction. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, you're the first to call out if you have any form of contraction. Oh yeah. You know, which is, I have to be me, me too. Cause yeah. I know like the reason I really started my work was I knew that it would keep me in integrity. Yeah. Like yeah. I couldn't sit <laughs> totally. on this podcast and be like, have good boundaries. <laughs> and then I'm like, I'm a doormat. Yeah, you totally. Know? Yeah. Cause it's so incongruent. And I think on, if we're talking mm, existentially, it, it it's vibrationally different, yeah. but I think on just a real level, humans are so good. Yeah in millions of different ways of assessing safety and authenticity yeah. because they need to know if they can trust people. Yeah. And we can actually sense those intonations just in a voice, mm-hmm. which I think is, you know, it's sorry, you were going to say, no, I just, when you said trust, because this is just a statement that often comes up. And usually when people reach out to say something along the lines of, I just want to trust my body again. I just want to trust it. Mm. It's like, Oh, just wait a second. Your body wants to trust you too. Mm, that it's this relationship. Yeah. Gotta listen. It's the same with the work that you're doing, right? There has to be this communication. If there isn't, if it's shut down on one side, no way, no way. Yeah. I remember having this thought about my body, um, when I was on a spin bike, (sighs) soul cycle, just hammering away, you know, (laughs) fucking place. It's like doing fucking sit-ups and push-ups and pedaling somehow. Yeah. My ass hitting the seat, hitting the front, you know? And I remember thinking like, why would your body ever surrender to you when all you've done mm. is not accept it? Mm. And it was like this moment of like, how can it owe you yeah. when you have literally met it with nothing but yeah. uh, covert criticism, uh-huh. not outward, 
Yeah. Because it started to live very covertly. Yeah. You know? And, you know, I think an important thing to say is, um, like, what I hear there is, like, this this acceptance, like, okay, can I learn to accept my body? I think there's this, this shift happening in, in, in our culture. And I'm hopeful about it that I would love for people to love their bodies. Mm -hmm. But if we can't start with love, let's start with acceptance. Mm -hmm. When we are preaching how positive we have to feel about our bodies, it's also equally as isolating as hating our bodies. Mm -hmm. Right now we have this pressure to like, yeah, celebrate your body you had a negative thought yeah you shouldn't be thinking that yeah and then we shame it yeah yeah so so just being with with what that experience is it's funny you, you talk about the cycling now when i go um you know when they do the runs and they're like super super fast i'm like holy shit my body is in fight or flight and i literally tell myself <laughs> i'm like you're okay yeah it's not happening again it's not happening again because I know that my body's listening to that and it thinks danger, danger, danger. And sometimes our body needs to feel that in order to run. Right. But for people or individuals like yourself and myself, maybe we've been on high alert so long that we actually just really need to strengthen the part of us that, that feels at home again. Yeah. And wants to be trusted. That gets to sit on the couch yeah. and relax. Yeah. You know, I found that exercise for me was so rewarding because not only was it an mm -hmm. endorphin rush, um, but I was also good at it. Like yeah, I was a good I athlete. I was, I was a really good athlete. So it was like, I would get all the social status that would come with mm -hmm. it too. Um, and in the last couple of years, I really stepped away from just the gym for the first time in my life yeah, and really you. settled more into like walks, hikes, yeah, movement, yoga, you know, which I do love the value of the gym. Uh, you know, I need to move weights and yeah. you do, but you and I uh, originally met at boxing. Yeah. And boxing for me has been the ultimate way mm. of in a socially acceptable way mm -hmm. of releasing rage yeah. and anger. Yeah. Um, and emotion moving through my body in an intentional way. Yes. You know, we're like, cause you know, if you're walking down the street and you just start screaming, yeah, especially as a woman, acceptable. it's probably, you know, yeah. people are going to be like, are you okay? Mm -hmm. But if you do it in your car, you're probably good unless it's a convertible. Mm -hmm. um, and at boxing, you can do it through exercise. Yeah. And, and I think the add on to that is not only are you releasing it, but you're also gaining strength. Mm. So you see the power in being able to let something go um, and, and still stand on your own two feet, right? Not letting it all fall apart. Yes. Um, and I think there's something really, really beautiful about that because anytime uh, there was like an expression of, of emotion that felt um, unsafe, I suppose it'd be like, Oh, okay. I'll, I'll get that out. But then there's like the breakdown, right. Or there's mm -hmm. like, uh, Oh, it's just so embarrassing or I can't feel that way. It's shame, shame, shame. So with the boxing, like you develop this strength and resiliency from, from this very intentional act. Um, yeah, I still love it. Oh, I yeah. feel like if you get to know rage, which everyone needs mm -hmm. to do, mm -hmm. I agree behind rage is usually grief. Mm -hmm. But if you get to know rage, then you can dance in mm -hmm. clean anger mm -hmm. without being afraid I of what that. rage might bring. Dan yeah. Dance in clean anger. Cause you know, like I, uh, worked with this one person who saw his mother get thrown through a closet door when his stepdad was enraged. Mm -hmm. And so he was so afraid of his anger cause mm -hmm. he was afraid he would throw someone mm -hmm. through a closet door. Cause that's the only thing he knew. Yeah, of course. So he wouldn't even let himself have a boundary cause he was afraid that of even expressing an emotion that yeah. was in any way felt controlling. Yep. 
And so it was really interesting to let him get to this stage of boxing and rage yeah. so that he could then it's so lay down a simple boundary like, that's not okay. Yeah. You know, he, he was like a doormat. The women. stories that our bodies are telling us. Oh. I mean, my gosh. I remember there was a moment in, in a workout class, um, and probably a lot of people don't know about, but my, my father passed away from a neurodegenerative disease. Um, and when he was in, um, his forties is presented and it's slowly, um, the symptoms presented as lock, a lack of balance. So he would lose his balance or speech, um, would slur. Yeah. So I remember, um, being, um, you know, in class and struggling with my balance and the beliefs and story that I had about myself went straight to, I'm going to die. I'm going to be just like my dad. And And this is after you survived. Oh yeah. Stuff, right? Oh yeah. Now it's like, that's what I mean. It's all, it's the layers, right? But hopefully um, our sense of presence, which I think is the present moment, just like that moment when you're sitting in the hallway and you're like, I will never again chew again. Yeah. Right. I think, I think those moments of clarity and presence are, are just pivotal and, and reexamining our stories continuously. I had to find something that mattered to me after that. Mm-hmm. Cause that was the first time I actually confronted the reality that I would one day not exist. Mm-hmm. And I had to then, my form of motivation became integrity, mm-hmm. but it actually became, I had to find something that was more important than my bullshit, mm-hmm. than my shadow, mm-hmm. than my, my dysfunctional patterns. And that was that the work that I wanted to do to, to help people understand mm-hmm. relationships was more important than my desire to self-sabotage and destroy myself. Yeah. Um, I think my self-destruction was a little more subtle, um, uh, definitely than your self-destruction. Sure. Um, but it, it was just more covert. Yeah. Um, and it might've had a longer shelf life, mm-hmm. but it still would have, you know, I think I had, um, in a lot of ways, my coping mechanism was partying mm-hmm. and drinking. You know, I think if you drink to a stage of blacking out or as uh, my friend called it, time traveling, <laughs> I, there's likely something there. Yeah. Cause the body never wants to overdo anything when it's no. in a healthy state. Yeah, absolutely. Like you won't overeat. You yeah. won't, you know. Just look at our lab works. Except for pizza sometimes it makes you want to. <laughs> sorry, right. look at our lab works. You know, even our lab works, there's this fine balance that our body is always dancing between yeah. our sodium, our potassium. Um, yeah. And nothing's free. No. You know, like there are no hacks, yeah. no shortcuts. I know people talk about hacking. Mm. Um, you know, I think there's ways of optimizing, mm-hmm. but there are no shortcuts. Yeah, there's there long is. cuts. There's incredibly long ways to mm-hmm. get somewhere. But there is no way of bypassing me too. But then you end up having to take the fucking regular road anyways, because they're like road clothes, tricked you. And you're like, damn it. I thought this was supposed to bring me self-actualization and health (laughs) and a six pack. Yeah. All in one. So you said there were two moments of transition. Um, and did you share the second one? Yeah. So the second one actually would be about present moment, right? So it was in that moment of, of true despair where it was, uh, if I can live through this moment, uh, I can live through anything. anything. Yeah. So just actually like recognizing yeah. the amount of resilience you had actually oh, yeah. had. Yeah. Yeah. Survival, survival, even though you might not, cause you said I didn't care what happened to my body at mm-hmm. one point, mm-hmm. but at your body points. was like, at I care points. what happens. Absolutely. To us. That was where that authentic self came in and said, Oh, wait a second. Like that, that four year old girl, or whoever that tiny, tiny, you know, speck of sand in there took control and said, no, 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 no. Like what is real? 
what is real right now? What is true? Are you, are you, are you in danger right this second? No. Okay. Reassess, reassess. Okay. What do you need to find safety? Okay. Just take that next step to that. Right. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't about this, um, you know, a lot of people get scared about going into recovery as though it's going to be this deep dive and plunge into something and you're never going to turn back. Mm -hmm. Right. I don't think it has to be that way. I think you have to face the discomfort and that is a big, big, big part of it. Um, but it also is beautiful. Like it can be beautiful. Mm -hmm. You can be, um, just walking the walk every single day one moment at a time yeah it could be a rise rather than a mm. a, a, a lowering you've yeah. already hit the bottom shit everything at that point is absolutely is puppy dogs and ice cream absolutely Not actually but you know what i mean a hundred percent because i think about, I, I feel like we meet rock bottoms all the time yeah. that could yeah. just be stepping out of alignment out of integrity yep. is an invitation to discover who you are yeah. what your integrity is who what you want and to give more birth to the voice that yeah. is the four-year-old the five-year-old yeah so since then, because your work has, mm-hmm. has just continued to evolve. Mm-hmm. So since then, what have you created from that mm-hmm. space? Um, personally or professionally? Both. Yeah. Both, yeah. Because I feel like they're sort of... Yeah. They, well, they kind of walk hand in hand. It's my, yeah. I mean, my life's work. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely feel just as I did when I was a 21-year-old um, optimistic young woman that um, I can help people and I want to help people. Um, the gift of finding present moment, we haven't talked about mindfulness, but mindfulness is a huge aspect of this work. Um, so I can say that that has, that has transformed the way I interact as a human being, um, how I interact as, um, you know, a partner, um, in my profession with my clients, um, I absolutely love what I do and it's because it's because I know that hope is out there. Hmm. I know that people can get better. And, um, that's such a beautiful thing for people to meet. You know, finally someone who meets them and says, I've had this, how many relapses have you had in your your life? I can't even count. Right. So like for someone to know that you, you've likely seen a deeper bottom, not to have a hierarchy of bottoms, but you've likely seen a deeper bottom and here you are. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's important that people don't just pocket this resilience and expansion in nutrition and body. Mm -hmm. This is about human resilience. Uh, Absolutely. This is like changing your attachment style. (laughs) You know, it's like I used to get anxious and Mm self-destruct. Guess what? Welcome to the club. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why, you know, that 360 degree view of a human is, is what I want to achieve with, with my people. Mm. You know, I, I want to be able to look at the whole human condition and not separate, well, this needs fixing or this needs fixing or this symptom behavior has to stop. It's not how that works. Yeah. It can't be. Um, it's the melding of all of those worlds, the integration um, that brings us back to a sense of being whole again. And, and I am just, I don't, I, I don't want to see my, actually refuse to see my clients and people as their illness. I see them as that four year old self or yeah. wherever that changed. And that is, that is so alive in my work. It's such an ex- 
all forms of dysfunction or anything like that, uh, unhealthy relationships mm-hmm. with anything, are just different ways of expressing pain. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, and, and when we can recognize that, that the, the way out of everything, in my opinion, yeah. is, the, is giving birth to who you are. Yeah. Like 100%. releasing the prison, releasing yourself of the constructs you were taught that of who you need to be, right? Like, yeah. like oh, you're too funny? Quiet. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're too serious. Oh, mm-hmm. you're too emotional. You're too like, I just want to say like, fuck that. Yeah. You know, it's such bullshit. Yeah. Now there's times when we're too emotional because it's a way of coping. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's complex right now. But yeah. the, just that there's this idea that really what's waiting to come out of you is you. Yes. You know, and the real version of us. So well put. Needs salad, but also needs pizza. Needs yeah. everything. Needs all balance. Of it. Needs all of it. It needs to listen to the hunger of our soul, the hunger of our stomach, um, the hunger of our future. You know, there's there's so many elements, but we one is not um, more morally sound than the other. Oh gosh, yeah. Like there's no hierarchy of no. morality here. No, I'm tired of that. Oh my god, my god. Yeah. There's so much about restriction. You know, like yeah. don't do this, don't do that. Yeah. I mean, we have so much repression. Yeah. In this, like, don't be too sexual, don't be too this, don't be too open, don't be too, you know, it's like, they don't tell you not to be too closed. Isn't that fucked up? You know? Like, oh, Lord. At least no one told me. (laughs) Like, if a way of your testament to your fortitude and your values is to uh, not have sex or to not, like, you're going to want to have sex. You're human. Yeah. You know, it's all these different ways that we try to prove. Yeah our validity mm-hmm. when it's like you don't have to mm-hmm. so and i mean i think that's why young men and women going back to like how they want to adjust their bodies is yeah. it's another way of validating that they're good enough that they're okay enough yeah and and crazy enough like i experienced the validation mm-hmm. through that then through being attractive and through mm-hmm. being charming yeah where all i really wanted was someone to be like uh, I see you, yeah. which I have mm-hmm. um, now. My parents saw me too. I was just terrified of people who could see me. Mm-hmm. So I pushed them away Yeah, for a while. You know, where I was like, you can love me. I'll mm-hmm. date you till you get too attached and then yeah. peace out, Brussels sprout. Yeah. So in that journey of navigating your healing, you said mindfulness mm-hmm. was a big part. So does mm-hmm. that look like a meditation practice? Yep. Yeah. It looked like, uh, meditating daily i would have like study time self-inflicted study time Mm -hmm. where i'd uh, read different philosophies and teachers and then what else um it would be being nutritionally sound so i often talk about what it would be like to eat adequately right Mm -hmm. so adequately can cover like all those vitamins and nutrients but also mean okay nourishing the brain nourishing the soul the happiness all of those elements definitely working through the belief systems, right? So combing through the narrative, working on the tangles that keep, you know, keep us stuck, um, moving my body. And I say moving as opposed to exercising because exercising and movement both can help. Like you said, mm-hmm. that that's, uh, how we feel about ourselves, but it can also be very destructive. So I had to figure out how to connect with my body connect with finding that safety in my body again. And I mean, there's so much research to show how we can do that through certain exercises or, or vagal nerve, like mm-hmm. creating that tone. And that's, uh, you know, things like yoga or chanting. Um, so I remember literally stepping into a yoga class being like, well, they say this works. Let's give it a try. 
Right. I've definitely found a lot from it. Yeah. Uh, and Kundalini. Yeah. Makes you very present. Yeah, it's very it's powerful. It's a little messed up, like it in is. a good way. Yeah. Where you're like, I've never moved my arms so much in the same freaking way. <laughs> my shoulders are going to fall off, and then they don't. Yeah. Absolutely. So even even that journey, and I, I mean, I don't go go to Kundalini often. Me neither. But but when you're moving that body, then the story comes up. Like, how am I still doing this? How am I still doing this? It's painful. It's painful. And it's like, okay, well, what what does pain feel like? Mm. What does that sensation feel like? Ah, okay, interesting, interesting. And so you can you can move through that. The other interesting part about Kundalini is that um, that chanting um, or those um, rep- repetitive sounds is also very helpful in stimulating the vagal nerve, which mm. I'm sure you've talked about on your show before, but I haven't really. Um, okay. Uh. It's, it's, I mean, it's really interesting stuff for, for those of you who don't know, it's where, um, a bundle of nerves that start at the base of the brain and attach to your visceral organs. And it is the mechanism that, uh, allows us to move through fight or flight through rest and digest, um, or total shutdown and freeze. Um, so we want a healthy vagal tone in order to move through those stages of throughout our day or experience and, and certain things like deep breathing, chanting, ohm, Uh, they all help stimulate. Yeah. It's really interesting. I heard something the other day that, uh, Mammals that breathe the slowest live the longest, mm. which I think I, um, I was talking to Sam Skelly on the oh, last yeah, episode yeah. of the podcast, and we were talking about how like a human breathing at a healthy rate, like deep breathing, should breathe around six times mm. a minute. And I was like, geez. So interesting. Right. Like that we're just like taking in these long, but it forces you to be present. Yeah. You know, which exactly. is really, I love what you said, and I actually meant to emphasize this earlier that the first part of any sort of uh, transformation is one, you said that little voice, the mm-hmm. hope, mm-hmm. and then it's actually connecting to the truth of who you are, yeah. who you actually are. Yeah. Not the bullshit. Not the BS story. Yeah. The fucking, oh, yeah. this, this. Yeah. No, like, do you lie? Do you yep. cheat? Yep. Do you have a dysfunction? Do you have challenges? Do you sell What's your core? Right. Like, what's the truth? Yeah. Because when you can call out your shadow, you can also call out your light. You know, there's like both when you, you have to bring both forward. Yep. Um, and I, I think it's uh, Sam Harris who has that book, Free Will. Mm. And he talks about how if we went through anything that anyone else went through and traded their space, molecule for molecule, mm. cell for cell, we would be exactly who they are. Mm. So our idea of free will, like that heroin addict should stop doing heroin. Why don't they stop? It's because we're projecting our own choice onto mm. them, but they don't have the same right. choice. And so I was like, that's so true. That's what yeah. we do. We're like, why don't you just heal? Yeah. Like, oh, coming yeah. from someone who's healed. Like, yeah. you know, get out of here with your righteous healing. Right. Yeah. I mean, and you know what? I just think that that really solidifies the importance of self-compassion and mm-hmm. compassion towards others. Um, there is so much dialogue around that judgment of getting better. Uh, you have to be compassionate to whatever presents at the table. <laughs> so if you're in discomfort and you are in your disorder, okay have compassion for where, where that person is at. Meet them. Meet yeah. Them, meet them, meet yeah. Them. Which is interesting because I didn't understand this before, but when you can have compassion for someone else, mm. it's because you have learned it with yourself. Yeah. You know, and I, I only, you know, again, late learning in life that the judgments we hold for other people mm. are just things we still judge mm-hmm. ourselves for. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to think about that. Cause I remember seeing a guy, I was like, what a douchebag. And I was like, 
Oh, I've definitely been there. Yeah. I had a pop collar and some frosted tips. Uh-huh. Can't say anything. <laughs> and a puka shell necklace. Oh my God, that's oh, amazing. get out of here. Um, so mindfulness. Mm. Um, compassion. Compassion. And nutrition. And nourishment, but nourishment, nourishment in whatever in that a, means. Yeah, yeah. Um, total nourishment. Yeah. And what else? Anything else? Um, untangling the beliefs. Oh, yeah, the beliefs. Yeah. So where can people find you? Because mm. everybody who's listening... Go find Kate. Yeah. Not only is her Instagram uh, incredibly wise and brilliant, and she just shares a lot on stories um, and in her posts, but they're also funny. Thank and they're, you. They're, they're like, there's a side of me, right? That, <laughs> that there's this idea, and I love the idea of playing as you heal. Mm-hmm. Everything has it because that's the humanness of things is being able to recognize that. We're all in this dance of dysfunction together. Yeah. Anyone who pretends they're not, uh-uh. get out of here. I don't. I don't want to learn your healing no, no, mechanism. No. It's that, called bypassing. That's, that's exactly yeah. my. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Let's pretend we're healed. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. Mm-hmm. Um, so, where can people find you? Yeah. So people can find me on Instagram, as you mentioned, at um, Kate Horseman Nutrition. Um, they can also find me on my website, um, at katehorseman.com. Spell horseman. Oh yeah. There's no E. So it's H O R S M A N. And, um, yeah, those are the, those are the two main places. I write out a weekly newsletter that sort of continues on the offerings that I've been talking about. Um, and you have a course coming out, right? I do. I have a really exciting course that's going to be an offering that, uh, focuses on that question that a lot of people come to me with. How do I begin to heal my relationship with food and body? So my aim is that Uh, this comprehensive course can be an invitation to, to walk you through those, those initial times. I'm so excited for you to launch that because I've been like, yo, get this shit out there. You guys have been, (laughs) um, big cheerleaders of mine. I'm so, so grateful. Oh, well, you know, your work is the world needs it. So, you know, cause I think of the version of me that needs it, mm-hmm. you know, that is like, there's always a, I always have to honor that that part of me that got called a porker always exists mm-hmm. and that I need to have compassion mm-hmm. for that part of me, but also continued learning about how that shows up in food choices and yeah. exercise choices. Yeah. Um, okay. So they can get access to that course when you launch it in. Yeah, at September, September 12th is when it launches. Perfect. So if they go to your website yep. and sign up to your mailing list. That'll be the get, first way to access. There you go, guys. Yeah. So make sure that you go and do that and sign up on our mailing list. We'll link out everything in the show notes. Kate, it's an honor. I appreciate you. Thank you for this conversation and for being so open with everybody. Thank you, my friend.